midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we are talking about each episode of Call the Midwife, one by one, without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. And I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the second episode of Season 5 of Call the Midwife. This episode was directed by Sid McCartney and written by Harriet Warner. We last saw Sid McCartney last episode. He directed the first episode of this season. And Harriet Warner we last saw in Season 4, Episode 7, the one where uh, Sister Evangelina switches the babies. So, I mean, I... We'll talk about the whole episode, but I feel like that uh, that specific episode really connects to this one. Yeah, absolutely. It's Sister Evangelina again. Yeah. Um, do you want to take us through this episode? All right. We begin with our mature Jenny narration. She narrates about the world coming in through the docks of London. In the clinic, moms enter and read about prams. At a presentation about Marlowe's baby formula, Sister Evangelina objects to formula being given away at the clinic, calling them all charlatans. She helps Connie, a new mom, prepare for future a pregnant mom, prepare for future breastfeeding. She tells her she can provide what's best for her baby. At the Beckett's home, Johnny and Stella discuss a pram, and she's upset with him for not bringing in any money. At Nanatus, Nurse Crane has a new system for pushpins on a map to track visits and encourages the nurses to learn languages, telling them about her new Spanish class. Barbara visits the Becketts in the midst of them arguing again, and she finds that Stella's blood pressure is high due to her stress. Sister Evangelina and Sister Mary Cynthia deliver Connie's son, and Sister Evangelina reassures her that she'll know what to do. Nurse Crane goes to the Spanish class and meets Tommy, a gentleman who's about her age. He offers to take her home, but she has her car, and he talks romantically about the night air. All right. Which, so like, sometimes on this show we uh, find that there are many, many strands and and plots, and it's hard to, like, untangle which is which, but I feel like this episode has very clearly, like, there's Nurse Crane and Tommy... There's Sister Evangelina and the formula, and there's the Becketts. Yeah. Which of those three plots would you like to talk about first? Um, let's talk about um, Nurse Crane mm-hmm. briefly. Uh, she talks about wanting to, t- to learn languages. She She really wants to learn Urdu or like a Southeast Asian language, which makes a lot more sense. Yep. For the moves coming into... That, like, is not the... It's just a throwaway line, but it's such a good line for, like... She wants to learn a language to be practically helpful. Like, it's in the middle of her, like, uh, flurry of efficiency and Mm -hmm. usefulness. And she wants to learn a language so that she can be helpful to new mothers. Um, And the language that is needed is Urdu or... uh, What's the other language she mentions? Pashti, I think. Pashti, I think, yeah. Um, because there are a lot of uh, new Londoners from East Asia. Uh, 
and like that's extremely practical but what the what is offered is spanish and i i i don't know why i like it just feels so the multiculturalism that is um encouraged and acceptable is not what is actually uh into uh in step with the world that they're they're living yes, in yes exactly they're learning everyone who's in the spanish class seems like they're more learning it to be romantic, especially like uh, Tommy, who she meets, is kind of learning this romance language to to get out of the house and to be, you know, he's a romantic. And the young gentlemen who, who are there, who knows, like for travel, for rom- like it's not at all for what Nurse Crane is there for. Yeah. I'm like, I... I'm going on and on, but I really, I can absolutely relate to, like, learning languages just purely for the enjoyment of learning it, uh, which she kind of falls into, right? She goes originally so that she can have another language to use practically, but she ends up uh, being just uh, enjoying the, I was going to say being seduced by the language. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I will say that. It's a little strong for what happens, but yeah. Enjoy, enjoys the language. Enjoys the language and the experience of learning. And, like, actually, it seduced is a little strong, but also is accurate, right? Yeah. And symbolized by Tommy. She meets this, like, dashing older gentleman her age who's all charming and flirty and, like, we have Nurse Crane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we'll get into that even more as we go into the episode about what that means for for her as a person. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about Connie last. So the, the main character I feel like of the episode is, uh, Stella and Johnny. She's called Mrs. Beckett almost the entire episode. I had to look up that her name was, is Stella. Or he's uh, called Johnny all the time. He's day. called Johnny all the time and she's called Mrs. Beckett. But, uh, that he's not working and this is a source of great stress for her and for them. And it plays into this, like masculinity of he must support at all costs even though he is clearly feeling unwell and i mean of course by the end of the episode we find out why but you can see from the very beginning that he is unwell and she can't see it all she sees is a husband who's not supporting her and a husband who is like i am going to have this baby any moment and you are not doing anything and i also feel like this is so well framed by the episode because we start off with yeah we can see that all i mean we also because we are familiar with television and how it works we can like probably guess we can see that like he's not well he's like looks really tired but also their first argument is like she wants a pram and he's like you need to make more and she he said she says, you need to make more. He says, you need to want less. And she says, I'm not asking for the moon. It's a pram. Yeah, like we're literally having yeah. a baby. She doesn't say the moon. That's my cliche. She's like, it's not yeah. a, a France, French Riviera vacation or whatever she actually yeah. says. And it's so like starts off with him. We have seen other uh, families on this show often where like, there just isn't much money and it's not because anyone's doing anything wrong necessarily. They're just poor. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the you need to want less is 
almost setting the audience up for like, oh, is this a story about like poverty in general? Yeah, is he an addict as well? Like, is this, uh, like later on we'll see him in the pub and like, is that the problem here? Is that he's a drunk or that he's like, he's not working for, you know, any number of vices? And in the pub, that you, you haven't talked about it yet, but I'll just say... There's a throwaway line again about, like, I've never seen a gentleman nurse one pint so long. Mm -hmm. So, like, he's in the pub all day, but he's not getting drunk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This also um, will get... I think that uh, Connie's story is the one that I see the least clearly connected to the uh, preamble to the the voiceover. Mm-hmm. But, like the thing about the docks connects so well to Nurse Crane and to the Becketts because Johnny works at the docks until so the docks are the place that brings, like she talks about the docks bringing the world to Poplar and we see the world and it's this little theme hinted at of like want and what you want and what you can have, but also very practically that's where he should be working and isn't working. And also metaphorically, uh, Phyllis and the Spanish class is like, do you see the world? The world comes to you. You're like, uh, um, both their Tommy and nurse cranes talk about like walking through the night air is like mm-hmm. the romance of the world. And you don't have to go to Spain to experience the romance of the world. Cause the docks are bringing it to you. Like that all connects. So it nicely. does connect a bit to the, uh, to the formula story because it's the modern world coming in. It's this yeah. idea of like this idea of sister Evangelina is like old school and we don't mm-hmm. need any formula because breast is best, but that's going to come anyway. And that's going to be in the, in the world that they're in because it's, everything is, it's, everything is being experienced at the same time. Like the. Right. So we're talking about it now. What do you want to say about Connie? There's a lot that I want to say about this idea of, formula and about breastfeeding and I uh have had a lot of thoughts over my whole experience as a mother so I think and do you want to talk about them right off the bat or do you want to as we go through because because I want to talk about this this scene at the beginning with a woman coming and and uh trying to give away and sell formula to expectant mothers Mm -hmm. because uh, on one hand, Sister Evangelina isn't wrong. Like, she's right in that she's up there saying, you know, oh, it's better, it's mm-hmm. healthier, it's whatever. And uh, I have absolutely nothing against formula. It is a great in- invention and it is great for a lot of moms. And breastfeeding is also great too. Your baby just needs to get fed. But it's not neutral. Yeah. Formula went through a period of time, especially right at this time in the 60s, in the 70s, where it was predatorially marketed to moms in poverty. Mm -hmm. I mean, particularly this is something we saw in Africa where they were told it was better and then moms were mixing it with dirty water and killing their babies. And formula is, when it's used properly, it is... Exactly. Equivalent to breast milk. It feeds your baby. It nourishes your baby. All kinds of things. But it has a cost and it has to be used properly. And when you market it to people in poverty, 
Mm -hmm. the likelihood of them watering it down or using it improperly is much higher. And uh, breastfeeding is free. And so you need to give moms, especially moms who can't afford formula, a chance to uh, at least try. And if they can't and whatever, like exactly what happens in this story, they need to, yes, give formula and all that stuff. But the fact that uh, formula, formula marketing, especially back then, was so predatory and so and harmful to moms and babies is not something that can just be ignored. So Sister Evangelina, despite what happens in this episode and despite the fact that, yeah, she is she ends up in the wrong, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But she is not wrong in accusing the people there of saying falsehoods and giving moms... Uh, this idea that they should spend their money on formula. I was at the store the other day mm-hmm. buying, uh, sometimes I'll buy baby things for the food bank. And so I was like, I'll buy some baby food and maybe I'll pick up some formula. And I looked at the formula and the can, it was like 50 bucks. I had no idea. I did not know formula has was that expensive or had gotten that expensive. And I was like, are you kidding me? With a can of formula just regular formula not even like a specialty kind like my baby is having some issues is like fifty dollars that's so much money for something it's just and it's not okay to charge a life-giving substance that much so that's just a whole rant that i have that i kind of need to come into this episode with that in my in your ears and to know where i'm coming from Mm -hmm. with the discussion in this episode because there is very much uh if you aren't aware of the culture of breastfeeding and formula it's extremely fraught and controversial but uh and no less fraught in 2023 than it was in 1964 exactly exactly and i think it comes down to as everything does capitalism and corporate greed and if uh, if people could uh, get a prescription for formula and have it for free, and people could get like their dr- their insulin for free, all these things, that is part of like why capitalism sucks is they can just jack up the price of this essential item. Yeah, this is like you. I had absolutely very similar lines in my notes that like. On one hand, and the the thrust of the episode of, like, uh, mothers should not feel any guilt about feeding their baby uh, however they want to and is best for the baby, mm-hmm. right? On the other hand, it they are charlatans. <laughs> yes. You can be a charlatan selling a good product. Yes, exactly, exactly. The product being good does not mean that the people marketing in a clinic is, aren't being predatory charlatans. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's in the same way that drugs get marketed to doctors and whatnot. It's just... It doesn't mean that the drugs aren't actually necessary and good. Yeah. In fact, the fact that they're necessary and good makes it all the more reprehensible that the predatory marketing... Yes. Thank you. So... I'm this right is... there with you. Obviously, I'm right there with you because we talked a lot about this when our little babies were little babies. Yes, exactly. 
So that that being off the of our chests, Connie is being prepped for breastfeeding before she's even had the baby and is already anxious about it, which does not lead to like you can already see what's coming right mm-hmm. away and that uh Sister Evangelina is not watching her words and not realizing the impact that she has on a young mom. Yep. Yeah, and like, we see, again, because we know how TV works, but also we see right away that Sister Evangelina is, uh, um, to jump slightly to the end, we'll talk about it again, I'm sure, but she says at the end, like, you know how, what I'm like. Mm-hmm. And, like, she is being what she's like, and we do know what she's like. And, like, it's very true. Yeah. She is my way or the highway, you know what I'm like. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's, I think, really well-written dynamic. Yep. All right, let's move on. Uh, Barbara, Patsy, and Trixie chat in their rooms, with Barbara writing to her father and relating about his coldness. Mrs. Beckett reports that Johnny has more work and has bought a pram. Connie struggles with breastfeeding, and Sister Evangelina continues to tell her that she can give her baby the best. Barbara spots Johnny in a pub where it's clear he has not been working all day. Nurse Crane finds that class is cancelled one night, but goes out for tea with Tommy and later comes home with her head in the clouds. Barbara and Tom talk about Johnny Beckett, and he advises her not to interfere. At the docks, Stella comes to deliver Johnny his lunch and finds that he isn't there. She collapses, and Johnny is fetched, and Stella finally finds out the truth. She shouts at him to make him leave. Connie's baby keeps losing weight as she struggles to feed him. Sister Mary Cynthia asks if she needs help, but she denies that she does. Barbara visits the docks to petition for Johnny, but finds out he was sleeping on his shifts. Um, Just to touch on at the very beginning of this recap, that Barbara and Trixie and uh, Patsy are in their room, and once again, Trixie hides the reason why she's not drinking. Yeah. That she's continuing to hide. line from Patsy that like, I can't be the only one drinking, and Trixie's like, well, lemonade's good for my complexion. Yeah. She's hiding her, we've talked about this before, hiding her virtues. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. Not that, like, total abstinence is a, of alcohol is necessarily a virtue. <laughs> <laughs> it is when you're... It is when you're an alcoholic, though. Um, the... And then, I don't know if we want to dwell on it, but do you want to say anything about Barbara's father introducing her as his parish assistant? <laughs> Just one more insight into Barbara. And as we see Barbara and Tom getting closer and flirting, we know that like she has this history with her dad being a a parish priest. And so they in some ways fit, but also he's like he's like a substitute father and like he come he's like coming in to be the better version of that. Yeah. Which is like a stereotype. They have like since we're talking about Barbara and Tom, she goes to him to ask advice about Johnny because she sees Johnny in the pub. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, this is an interesting to like this is uh, development of the Johnny and uh, Mrs. Beckett plot. Um, but there's this 
doesn't last long moment where Barbara knows the secret and doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah, exactly. And Tom says, I've never been thanked for interfering in a marriage. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So he says, like, don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I don't know, this doesn't go very far because uh, Stella finds out I think in the next scene anyway. Mm-hmm. But like, this is again, a thing we see of the nurses knowing secrets, the nurses knowing uh, private information, but also like information that would be helpful to each other, <laughs> to each other's, pa- you know, this, there's secrets going on in this episode also. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I agree that uh, Tom's advice is, I think, by the end, not good. Mm-hmm. That she should have said something to because the reason why Tom why Johnny was falling asleep was he is sick. Yeah. So if she had said something earlier that would have been just that much sooner that his he could have gotten a diagnosis, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, it probably at this point would not have not have made, a have made a difference. He goes downhill very fast. So the um other thing that's the uh, Nurse Crane and Tommy story goes forward a little bit. Not much in terms of plot, not much, but just we see them continuing to flirt and we see uh, Nurse Crane, like, really besotted. Yeah, and, like, the other nurses observe that, you know, she's not as uh, as harsh as she, or, like, she's distracted, basically. And is it this section that uh, um, Sister Monica Jones says, have you ever known Nurse Crane to say so little, to speak so little and say so much? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, She is... uh, It's really sweet to see Phyllis like this. In terms of Connie, again, in this section, like... Maybe we don't need to pull everything in the section apart too much because this is just like uh, raising the stakes a little bit more, but going along the same lines. Mm-hmm. So Connie still can't feed, can't uh, produce milk, yeah, uh, and is feeling guilty about it, and the baby's not doing well because of it. Mm-hmm. And we see, I think, uh, where this is going. Mm-hmm. I really, yeah. I remember our first child having uh, trouble gaining weight in the first couple of days. I feel like the our midwives were a little more panicky than they needed to be. They should have been a little more reassuring because everything was fine. But I remember feeling like so distraught. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It was really stressful those first couple of days. Yeah. But it turned out okay in the end. <laughs> and now she's 14. <laughs> yeah. And has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's continue with this episode. Um, Trixie and Patsy chat with Phyllis about grabbing opportunities, and she asks them to help her with makeup. In the clinic, Sister Monica Joan mixes up the pushpins, because, of course... <laughs> Sister Mary Cynthia is fetched by Connie's husband, and she finds that Connie is bleeding and the baby is dehydrated. 
Sister Mary Cynthia works to help the baby while Connie cries that she won't give the charlatans formula. Sister Mar Mary Cynthia confronts Sister Evangelina to tell her her opinions undue, had undue influence on Connie, and she needs to take care how she speaks to patients. She visits Connie and apologizes. At the docks, Johnny has collapsed and ends up in the hospital with pneumonia. Due to the mixed-up pushpins, both Patsy and Phyllis visit a woman with dementia who turns out to be Tommy's wife, leaving Phyllis distraught with Patsy to comfort her. In the hospital, Stella discovers that Johnny has leukemia with very little time to live. She asks Barbara to induce labor so she can have the baby before Johnny dies. On the advice of other midwives, they work to make this happen. Sister Evangelina asks Sister Julienne for permission to take a leave of absence, to go to a silent order where she can listen to God again. Sister Monica Joan bids farewell with tears, trying to get her to stay. Tommy comes to visit Phyllis, and she eventually sees him and listens to his story, but refuses to be his friend. Trixie and Barbara are successful in the induction, and Stella delivers her baby boy just in time for Johnny to meet him. Patsy and Phyllis discuss Tommy, and she ends up going back to her class and becoming friends with him again. At Johnny's wake, Stella is given his old dock hook, newly engraved, and money from his former boss. She later takes sandwiches to the homeless men across the street as Jenny narrates about the comforts of love, and we see Sister Evangelina depart. So let's talk about Tommy and Phyllis first. Mm -hmm. This is like in the last section. We saw uh, their, like, romance really blossoming. And at the beginning of this section, we really see Phyllis, um, like, happily leaning into it. Yeah, and she she's going for it. she for makeup advice. And she talks to the other nurses about, like, you have to live your life your own way. Uh, and that theme comes back up again when she, like, she says, maybe it was in the last section, right? don't know i didn't make a note of when this conversation happens but she's talking to the nurses about the younger nurses about like i've all i've lived my life the way i want to mm -hmm. and you always have to live your life the way you want to it was last section because she was enjoying spanish and they're like you don't have a man to worry about and she's like yeah and i don't want one and i'm happy with my life and then we see her putting on makeup and like looking for or like um embracing what she's found with tommy or what she thinks she has found with tommy mm -hmm. and it's like yeah the, i mean you the what turns out in plot terms is he has said that his wife has passed he said that he's lost his wife so he's lost his wife yeah he didn't he, say that she had didn't passed, say she died but... he said he'd lost her yeah and then it turns out that she has dementia and doesn't know who he is. And so he says to Phyllis, like, well, I did lose her. And she's like, don't give me semantics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair on both of them. Like, that he would like to have a friendship and maybe romance because his wife isn't his wife anymore. Yeah. But it's also very fair for Phyllis to feel incredibly betrayed by this. And and hurt and like she is uh 
I don't know what the word is, not conservative, but, you know, she is, she has strong values and that is a betrayal of marriage that she would not, mm-hmm. that she does not stand for. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> we have come so far in terms of Phyllis that, like, at first she's unlikable and then she becomes, I really like her by this point, but mm-hmm. she still is very rigid. Yes, exactly, right? rigid. She has, in every part, morally and uh, um, logistically, mm-hmm. <laughs> she is strict with herself and others and rigid and she wants things done just so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she is extremely not okay with flirting with a married man mm-hmm. uh, or being flirted with by a married man. She mm-hmm. says, you know, he made a fool of me. Yeah, exactly. I think that, you're... I think that hurts her pride more than anything is the, you made a fool of me. But I think in the end, like, the show kind of wants us to to think, you know, oh, it'd be nice if Phyllis could have a romance, nice that she could have a man. But that's not what any of these women's life is about. And especially not what Phyllis's life is about. Her, she is an independent woman who, uh, in a world that they're surrounded by of like, it's the 60s and women have no other role other than to get married. I mean, I know that that's not really the actual world and this is showing us that there are many other options and phyllis has chosen that other option and so i'm glad in the end that she doesn't end up like running off and getting married to to tommy or something like that and changing her whole life because she doesn't need to in the show i think like they put a speech in her mouth that i really like for her of like i'm very happy with my life it is exactly as i want it mm-hmm but for a moment, I saw something different for myself, and I liked it. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, it's not like poor Phyllis has never found a man. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, I picked a, and this is, whether it's like, in Phyllis's case, it's like uh, uh, single life or Tommy, but like, in general... You make choices and you live your life and you can be extremely happy with the choices you've made and still see another path that would have also made you happy and be regretful or even just like wistful about it. That like, maybe I could have done this other thing with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? That also would have been happy. Yeah, exactly. And she gets this little glimpse of it and then doesn't, and then it you know, evaporates, and she decides to go back and be friends, but, like, she talks to Tommy, he's like, I thought we could be friends, and she says, I don't need another friend. (laughs) Yeah. Which isn't true. (laughs) Everyone needs friends! I'm glad she goes back on, in fact, she goes back on that rather quickly, but, yeah, I'm glad she goes back on that. She goes back on it, and, like, she she does need friends, and also she needs Spanish class. It wasn't mm-hmm. just Tommy that was attractive about Spanish class. She loved it. Yeah. I'm so glad she doesn't give up on Spanish. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about Connie before we go into the Becketts, because their story is so sad. Um, <laughs> Connie uh, finally gets seen by Sister Mary Cynthia of like, you cannot do this. You are not feeding your baby and you are in pain. She's bleeding, which is horrifying. Yeah. And 
Uh, one of the things that kind of gave me a little chuckle as a meta thing is she like takes the baby and she's like, this baby is so uh, dehydrated and it's fontanelle is depressed. And I'm like, it's not. It's fontanelle is not depressed at all <laughs> because you can't have a real baby who looks dehydrated. But it's hard. Uh, I mean, like, I don't fault them even the tiniest bit, but it is kind of funny if you're interested in that kind of thing to notice whenever they talk about babies being malnourished, or even on shows when they talk about people being malnourished. Like they're the chubbiest cheeked little yeah, exactly. <laughs> babies, so as they should be. Exactly. But like, <laughs> you can't actually have a starving baby. <laughs> um. For just for like medical things, the fontanelle, if you don't know, is the also known as the soft spot. It's right at the top of the baby's head, uh, where their skull has not fused together yet. And so, um, sometimes you can see it like pulsing, like their brain is pulsing. It's kind of freaky, but kind of cool if you're me. And but also, but yeah, but when it's uh sunken in, that's a bad sign because that means because dehydration literally pulls your brain away from your skull that's why you get a headache that's why you get a headache it's why when you're you're uh hung over your brain is literally shrunken it's horrible um (laughs) (laughs) not that i've been hung over recently at all (laughs) um but that's that's what it is is the the fontanelle is depressed because they're literally your brain is is needs water needs hydration and when it comes to a baby they top they top up babies with water in this show which is something that is not done anymore because it was recognized that that wasn't really the best practice (laughs) um because the hydration that a baby needs is milk is also uh uh, nutrition because the, the only nutrition the only nutrition a baby gets is through liquid and so mm-hmm. if you top them up with water you're giving you're satiating their uh thirst without giving them nutrition yeah exactly yeah so poor baby gets to get some formula and the mom feels still horribly guilty and doesn't want to give it to her and, and since we marry cynthia I love to see her like this. I love to see her standing up for her patients because she's just so soft-spoken. To see her go to Sister Evangelina and be like, you done messed up. (laughs) She like, for Sister Mary Cynthia, in Sister Mary Cynthia terms, she like, screams at (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sister Evangelina, that is Sister Mary Cynthia's version of like, tearing a strip out of her. She's so soft-spoken and she like, you did the wrong thing and you have an influence and please think about the result of it. Yeah, like, And Sister Evangelina takes that too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, she reacts as if she's been screamed at because she deserves, she, and she, knew she deserves it. Yeah. She's been thoughtless. And like, we, we started off uh, saying that like, she's right about uh, formula sales being charlatans but also we see through the whole episode her like not listening to uh her patient Mm -hmm. not listening to connie not paying close enough attention to the baby's well-being uh she's got her opinions that are it's so ingrained she's not even looking at the world and she recognizes that and the scene where she goes and talks to uh, Sister Julianne. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful scene. I like. 
I said this episode connect is like has a clear connection to the episode in season four where she mixes up the babies because it's this moment of uh, Sister Evangelina like losing all confidence for and that was like a simple that was a thoughtless mistake and this is like I'm doing harm instead of help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a danger to my patients is what she is feeling like and she's not wrong yeah and like that doesn't mean she needs to punish herself but i think the like i need her uh conclusion that she needs to take a serious look at herself and learn to listen to god and remember her calling is to help uh to work on god's behalf to help people not uh on her own behalf to push her opinions as like this is a big danger with um any work that we do any profession that we do for a very long time it can be easy to become jaded and forget that others it's others first time doing whatever like just like it's as simple as I work at the library I forget sometimes that people don't know even the basics of how a library works and And it's easy uh, to get in your head and be like, roll your eyes and be like, don't you know how this works? And uh, and that's a bad thing in any profession. But in the medical profession, it's I feel like it's the worst thing to get jaded in. And like Sister Evangelina has seen hundreds of new moms who've struggled a bit with breastfeeding and then got on with it and been fine. And so she thinks that like this is gonna this is gonna be what happens i don't have to worry about this specific patient because this is what always happens is there's a bit of struggle and then they're fine and that is where the danger comes in of not listening and where she not only as a nurse and a midwife but as a nun and with a calling is recognizing that uh, she's not listening to her patients or to her uh, higher power that's helping her with these with with that in the first place and the reason why she got into this in the first place. Yeah. So I think that her recognizing that it's really powerful to have her recognize what she needs to do and how she needs to recover. Yeah, I I really love this reaction. Like on. Um... One hand, it feels like maybe she's being awfully hard on herself. Yeah, she is being awfully hard on herself. (laughs) But on the other hand, I feel like she, in the last episode where she mixes up the baby, she's like, I'm a stupid fool who can't do anything right. In this episode, I like, I think she has a less beating herself up, even though she is like crying and sad and upset with herself. Her, uh, I need to learn to list again why I'm doing this and who I need to listen to and to listen to God and not myself. Mm -hmm. Like that isn't, I'm a stupid fool who can't do anything right anymore. I think that is an actual, like, as you say, it's like step for her to remember why she got into this in the first place Mm -hmm. for her. I'm not saying that every person who screws up needs to go take an order of silence in a nunnery, but like for her character, I feel like it's actually is a good, uh, recognition of what she needs yeah 
I think we could all do with a chance to take a break from our work for a period of time. And once again, capitalism sucks. That's the theme of this episode for me. Uh, (laughs) That wouldn't it be nice if we could all have jobs where we could take a sabbatical every 10 years and just remember why seven years. (laughs) Don't semantics me English major. (laughs) That's Latin. (laughs) Wow. You guys heard it here first. Um, He is mansplaining (laughs) sabbaticals to me. (laughs) I'm just saying it would be nice if we could all have breaks from our job without financial repercussions and the world would be full of happiness and rainbows. And let's talk about Tommy and Johnny because, oh, I don't know if I can. I like reading the recap even makes me choke up. He has leukemia and is going to die very soon. And they don't. Often on this show, there's like, as any medical show, there's like a race against time to save him or to diagnose or get him treatment. In this case, it's like, no, there's no treatment. There's no cure. Uh, And so the only uh, question is, is he going to meet his baby? Or is his baby going to meet its father? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Stella and Johnny have been fighting the whole episode, and now we see that like it's not that he's lazy, it's not that he's uh, um, thoughtless or doesn't care about his family. He wasn't an alcoholic. He wasn't. He was sick. He was falling asleep because he had leukemia and mm-hmm. had no energy. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't like the stress of being a new father, as uh, they someone suggests. I forget who. Uh, probably Barbara. It was like, there's something wrong with his blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not the main point of this interaction, but it's like, I like how... Uh, I like the reminder sometimes that the behavior... The emotions, the mind, the body, they're all the same. Mm, Yes. Right? That, like, it could have been that he was depressed, uh, or it could have been that he had leukemia. Those are all things, those either way would be things happening inside his body. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this show, of course, is always fundamentally about a holistic view of health of the entire body, mind, soul. Yep. So they, uh, Stella's plan, Stella's hope is that they will induce her so that her, she'll be give birth before the, before Johnny dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some back and forth about like, is that medically responsible? But they decide that, okay, let's do it. Yeah. Right? I, I don't quite, I mean, I kind of get the point of that scene where they're discussing whether they should do it or not for reasons, but I... I just feel like, yeah, obviously they're going to do it. (laughs) I just feel like they can't do it. The show can't show us that happening without any discussion. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, maybe they can, but they decided, and I think it's not bad. It's worthy of a discussion. Should we induce? uh, Yeah, let's do it right now. Then we would be like, what? There's not even a conversation (laughs) about the medical responsibility of that. So like, okay, we have our conversation, but obviously we're going to do it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Um, and it's successful, barely. Mm-hmm. And he meets the baby, barely. Yeah. And Dr. Turner kind of tries to keep him awake by talking to him about football. Yeah. And uh, it's it's so painful it's like if we saw this same situation or a similar situation in like season one where with the dad who's dying and the daughter who's giving birth in the same house and he meets his baby just before he meets his grandchild just before he dies yeah and honestly we just heard a good friend of ours was telling a story about her uncle who passed away six hours after his first grandchild was born and that made me oh Really sad. It's, it's the show continues to make this uh, connection between birth and death. Mm-hmm. So the birth scene and Johnny's dying scene are like interspersed. They're happening at the same time in the world, but also like we're cutting back and forth between them in the editing. Yeah, uh, because they're. Cut- I mean, it's partly because we're it's a race against time, what's going to happen first, but it's also there's this symmetry, there's this thematic symmetry, and the whole show has been, um, and continues to be, that, like, birth and death are the bookends that are alike. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I don't know, do you have more, I don't know what more I have to say other than, like, it's emotionally, uh, intense, but... It's, uh, the one thing I wanted to talk about is, um, what we haven't mentioned all along is these homeless men who live across the street yes. from Johnny and Stella. And at the very beginning of the episode, she is very, uh, upset about them and like, they aren't working and like, I don't want you to become, li-. basically she doesn't want Johnny to become like them. And if he doesn't work, they're going to become like that. And she, and then by the end, she offers them sandwiches because she realizes that circumstances are circumstances and she has no idea what theirs are and she and she had no idea what her own were. Yeah. She says at the beginning the line is like a real man works. Mm-hmm. A real man doesn't beg for money. He yeah. works. Uh, and so she like has disdain for them yeah as she has disdain for johnny and exactly as you say she realizes johnny's situation wasn't she didn't know Mm -hmm. uh and like good on her for realizing for taking that out into for other people and it also connects all the themes right yeah connects all the stories because now she's feeding people Mm -hmm. like it connects to connie's uh or uh yeah, Connie struggles. It connects to Connie's struggles, which is Connie, which is Stella. She's Stella. It connects to Connie's struggles that like you feed pe- you feed people who need feeding, mm-hmm. <laughs> and exactly. also connects that like that's what Tom is a good uh, curate because he makes soup for the homeless mm, men. Yes, yeah, that happens so, like, this episode too. He makes soup every night. And Barbara's so impressed, and he's like, well, I make them something hot and wet. Uh, soup may be an exaggeration. <laughs> but, like, he says, everyone deserves a meal a day. Hmm. And that connects to Connie and, like, formula, breast, water, like, your baby deserves a meal. Mm-hmm. Something wet. <laughs> <laughs> wet. 
And and frankly, like if we're bringing it all together to feeding, uh, Phyllis is fed for a time by the idea of maybe I could find love and then maybe I'm not and that's okay. I can, I am who I am. Mm -hmm. Without that, I'm happy with my life. I'm fed, she's fed for a time by the idea of this. So I like that. And we connected them all, Paul. We, we connected it all together. Did it. Solved it. And then Sister Evangelina leaves. Oh. And it's sad. And Sister Monica Joan is like so distraught and like tries to unpack her suitcase as she's packing it. It is we sad. We like Sister Monica Joan and Sister Evangelina's relationship through this whole show. I know. It's I so love good. their like everyday antagonism and... Uh, bickering and mm-hmm. then in these moments of crisis the like affection they have for each other yeah it's really good it is really good what was your favorite part of I this i knew episode? you were gonna ask me that i knew you were gonna ask me that um oh i think that i think that it is the emotional part of Johnny meeting his baby before he dies. I think Mm. that just hit me really hard this time. And it was beautiful and so sad. And I think, yeah, that's, that's my favorite part in the end. What about you? My favorite part was sister Evangelina tearful, uh, conversation with sister Julianne. Uh, Mm -hmm. and just like, because we see, her always as such a hard character with like softness beneath it and so it is always especially moving when that softness comes to the surface Mm -hmm. (laughs) when there's nothing no hard exterior just all the softness is right up top it is always very affecting to me and i can like also uh i also am moved by a kind of uh spiritual longing Hmm. like that speaks to me yeah absolutely well we've talked about some really big things and big topics in this episode so if you would love to like to love to (laughs) whatever no don't talk to us if you'd like to to. only talk to us if you would love to (laughs) yeah talk to us <laughs> if you'd like to talk to us um we have a discord channel that will be uh, linked in our show notes that's a fun little place that people and us like to chat back and forth we've been hearing about people's trips to poplar which is really cool and uh we also have an email address that paul will say to you now poplar at clockworksacademy.com there you go uh we're on uh, twitter at poplar opinion and we uh, are also supported by Patreon. I really appreciate all the people who are currently financially supporting us. It does help us and help us make this podcast. Mm-hmm. So you can do that at uh, Clockworks Cast on Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Clockworks Cast, of course. Uh, and there will be a link to that in the show notes yeah, also. Yeah, everything's always linked in the show notes. You can just click, click, click. If you, uh, yeah. I mean, we we talked about um, breastfeeding and formula, which is such a hot and contentious topic. And if you have thoughts about it, like, I'd love to hear them. Yeah. If you think we're right or you think we're wrong. If we get a lot of mail, we can do like a mail episode. If we get a little mail, we'll respond to you individually. But if we get a lot, we might do a mail episode. Yeah. <laughs>
or a female episode. <laughs> oh, okay. everyday sex. Every, everyone has stopped. Everyone has stopped listening by now. Okay, we love you, family. <laughs> I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat, and that's just my popular opinion. <laughs>